Hello, and welcome to another episode of Forgotten People. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we, we have uh, Jay Hawkins, martial artist, man, man of the people. He's going to talk to us about his experience and his experiences of being both a black man in America, a martial artist in America. So, Jay, we're going to bring you on in just a second here. I did want to have a little conversation with you guys about, you know, the Confederate flag and the Confederate statues. You know, we all have our our opinions, but there are some facts. (laughs) There are 1,503 memorials to the Civil War. And that's a a staunch amount, gigantic amount. 718 are statues. 10 are U.S. military bases. And you would think that these statues... And memorials will be done right after the Civil War. But no, they're done during 1900 and 1920, during the Jim Crow era. And then during another time, which is the 1950s to the 1960s, during the Civil Rights Movements. So you can, you, can, you can see a pattern here. What I don't understand is why people are trying to change history. See, the South was fighting for the preservation of slavery. It was not about states' rights. Now, you're rewriting history if you say that. Preservation of slavery. And these people took arms against our United States of America, against our army, against our Navy. And they killed us. They betrayed us. They killed us. And now we have 10 military bases named after them which is why we want to change a lot of them. I don't see why we can't call one a, you know, U.S. base of Colin Powell, U.S. base of Senator McCain. Statues are often erected, not because of history, but to glorify people. Robert E. Lee himself in 1869, and I'm going to paraphrase, wrote a comment that's on many statues that says basically (laughs) do not erect statues based on like people like myself because they just divide especially when you have a war i don't know any other country on the planet earth that glorifies its losers its enemies of the state i don't know any other country germany it's illegal to put up any swastikas or any statues of a Himmler and Gimbals or, or any person that was evil in German history. It's illegal over there. I don't see why it's not illegal over here, which is why you're seeing a lot of youth. Not just Black Lives Matters, not just Black Lives Matters, but people taking offense to these statues. For a long time, people delegated and the bureaucrats would talk to each other on, on whether they want to take down the statues, whether it was worth it. Now you're just seeing young people put paint over them and drag them into the river. You know, maybe that's just what people needed. <laughs> because if you're not going to do it, then other people will do it for you. And that's the problem with bureaucrats. You, you keep on thinking about whether we should change. Well, t- times have changed awkwardly fast for you guys. Awkwardly fast which is why you guys are called boomers. 
And it's about time you caught up to the right side of history. You know, it was Jim McCain himself who, who was really, you know, one of the regrets he said he had for the rest of his life, and this is right before he died, he mentioned this again, was not, not fighting to take down the, uh, the Confederate flag over his capital. He did not fight. And he said to his dying day that that was his biggest regret. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking to most of you guys out there that are, are angry that NASCAR is now taking down the Confederate flag. You know, what's interesting about communication is it's not what you're saying. It's what people hear. That's, that's the fundamental concept of communication. It's not what you're saying. It's what people hear. Now, for you, the Confederate flag may be about uh, rebellion. Well, that's not what people see. For you, it might mean states' rights. What, 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 what rights are you talking about? And I wonder how many people who love that Confederate flag also hated Colin Kaepernick for taking a knee. <laughs> do, you, do you see what I mean? You see the contradiction there? Oh, he's not American. He's taking a knee to the flag. You're holding a Confederate flag for a bunch of anarchists who kill our own people, and you're celebrating these people. Who's the traitor here? It's not Colin Kaepernick. Oh, he, he took a knee. Oh, fire that guy. Fire him. Really? Really? And you can just carry a Confederate flag and that, that's perfectly okay? It's about time that we got rid of these symbols of destruction and hate. Racism and bigotry. You know, this country is divided enough. People have spoken loudly for so long. It's about time people listened. I'll tell you what, if you would have listened earlier, we wouldn't be having all these marches right now. We just wouldn't. All right, I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Let's bring in Jay, huh? Let's give him a little clap here. Good morning. Morning, Jay. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Can you hear me okay? I can hear, I can hear you fine. I, is there, are you on speaker or is the um, phone close to your mouth? I had you because I was listening. <laughs> <laughs> there better? you go. Yeah, that's much better. Thank you. Were you listening to my monologue? Oh, I was. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get off my soapbox there for a second. <laughs> can you believe that? 1,503 memorials to the, to the Confederacy. That, that's, that's insane to me. It's it's pure insanity. Yeah. Um, and kind of, if you don't mind, I'd like to piggyback off of that before we kind yeah. of go into all the sure. questions and things that you have. Um, I was just having a conversation with a student of mine the other day regarding the the importance of symbols because of the, the power that they hold. That in martial arts, you know, we have um, we have different kanjis, different words that, you know, right. transcribe different meanings um, and invoke different feelings and knowledge that kind of passes through these symbols. Um, right. You have these things, these statues that people are tearing down and painting over and dragging into the river to paraphrase what you said um, because there's a power within them that is still resonating out of those statues. There's a, 
um, energy of division that still lies within them. So in order for that to not exist or for it not to invoke that division out of people, whether they know it um, through generations of ignorance that they've been um, passed down to them or it's something that they've learned over time from their surroundings, it's still fueling them in some way. So in order to try to either stop or minimize that, the symbols have to go. Like they have, they, they can't stand there because they're just perpetuating that division. That's at least from how I feel about it. No, absolutely. And it's, it's nice to talk to a fellow educator as well, because we, ha- we do have a particular way of, of speaking to each other. You know, it, the yeah. swastika was stolen from, from the Buddhist culture. From India. Yeah. Yeah. From yeah. Buddha, I was going to talk about the swastika. <laughs> yeah. that it got, right. And many people don't understand that it's been flipped. That yeah. they see the swastika and they go, oh Absolutely. my God, like that's bad. And I go, it's like, that's not, let me educate right. you. I don't want to like immediately <laughs> come off and be like, oh, that's, that's not what it is. Why are you freaking out? It's more like, let me educate you and let you know that Hitler took right. that from the Indian Buddhist culture and flipped it right. the other direction and that's inversed right. its meaning. Right. So even that, like many, many people don't know that. So they have the immediate knowledge of what that symbol means. And that's what comes out of them, that fear and that, oh, I can't be associated with that because Hitler used it. I don't blame you for that, but let's educate you in the fact of what it once was and what it, its origin is. Not saying that like people can easily incorporate that back into, into culture, but at least when they see it, they know, you know? Right. Well, Hitler, Hitler was very... Um into stealing a, a lot of symbols from different cultures and bringing them into his, his, into his own thing. They caught a, a lot of Nazis digging into uh, Greek statues that were thousands of years old and put an mm-hmm. ancient Germanian into, mm-hmm. into the statues as, as if to make their cause a lot older. Yeah. He, took the book of, yep. he took the book of Nietzsche, and he warped the message of Nietzsche, even though Nietzsche died in the year 1900. Uh, yeah. So he, he, he did this. You know, this, what's interesting is uh, when I opened up my first dojo uh, or my first Kwan, um, I had a couple statues that had that symbol. Mm-hmm. And my mentor was saying, don't worry about it. Just put them up. Just educate people. And I had an Orthodox temple that was right next door to me. And I said, yeah. listen. They're gonna burn my <laughs> my school down before before yeah. they're gonna get the educational conversation. So I'm gonna slip these out of here, and uh, if people want to learn about it, they can learn about it through a pamphlet or something like that. But I'm I'm certainly not gonna spend ninety percent of my time educating people on, on a lot of the statues that I have. Um, right. Yeah. I've um I've been taught that, and I've I've learned this through many conversations I've had with people over the years, is that belief is stronger than the truth. In more cases than mm-hmm. in more cases than not, that Absolutely. you can have you can have that educational conversation with someone. I mean, I grant it. There's going to be people who are listening to this right now who never knew about the swastika flipping and it originating from Buddhism right. and from India. Um, but that's not going to change in, immediately. Like just because right. the the origin of its um, of its meaning has been told. And they can fact check it. They can Google it. We have unlimited amounts of information at our fingertips. Right. Um, still have that feeling and that right. belief that it was associated with this. So right. 
taking the time to try to educate people, they're still <laughs> going to feel that way, you know? <laughs> well, you know, you know, uh, Christians also use the symbol as well. I, I, I believe yeah. it was in the 19th century where Christians mm-hmm. used that symbol, and it had nothing to do w- with Hitler's cause at, at all. Um, and you're right, and you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's, it's a knee-jerk reaction more than it is about the desire to be educated. And I'm not going to blame 100%. anybody for it. You know I me, mean? I'm not going to blame people for that because – you know, if, if you if you look at a lot of the words that people use, like um, the K word for, for, for Jewish Americans when they first came over mm-hmm. to Ellis Island, um, that literally is Gaelic for circle. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you ever took semantics in college, you learn a lot of these words like, you know, like WAP was without papers, you know, and, and you can sit there and educate mm-hmm. people all you want. But in the meantime, they're, gonna, they're probably going to slash your tires. <laughs> you know, like cool. thank you for that lesson. Yeah, well, did you need? Did you need this tire? <laughs> yeah. You don't need that tire. <laughs> you don't need that tire, do you? <laughs> Not with that kind of mouth, you don't. <laughs> That's right. You can afford another tire, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because their their feelings and their belief in what that right. actually is to them is still stronger than the moment of education you've given them. Right. Because the, the, the ability to turn belief over takes time, and it, it takes does. repetition of education. Right. You know, I, I, um, I was teaching a class in my Colorado school, and mm-hmm. th- this guy was talking about being in Italy and, and, and having some issues. And um, he's like, I was trying to be attacked by this greasy Italian. And I, and I looked, I paused and I looked at him like, I can't believe you just said that. And he goes, oh. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I've never really said that before. That huh? came out pretty. That came out pretty clean. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. That came, that came out pretty clean, man. Yeah, like you've said that in your house a couple of times. <laughs> I know. It's like you know, I, I've heard like people on Xbox Live and what have you say the N word, and it, it oh, sounds God. so uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like they've, you know, you can tell they've never used that word in their entire life. Like, I've never used this word. And and other people, it's like, this is their everyday verbiage. And I I would say Mm -hmm. this to you as well, you know, because you're, you're, you're an educator as well. You know, when you use words like that, even in the privacy of your own home, you're eventually Mm -hmm. going to say that word out loud in public. A hundred percent you're going to. You're training yourself. You're training your mind yeah, you're and how to use your mind. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And whether you so, think like, oh, I'm never going to say that. Like I've, I've, I've met people on um, gaming communities where I've changed their verbiage over time. I've, I've met some young people and we right. converse for many years. And in the beginning, they'll, they'll say things and right. I'll immediately, like, I have no problem going, Hey, that's not going to fly. Like you're right. not going to, you, if you're going to do that, I can't control how you talk when you're not around me, but I'll tell you right now, if you want a game with me and you want to do whatever, you're not speaking that way around. Even if it's not at me, you're not speaking right. that way around me because I, I just won't right. tolerate it. Right. And <laughs> it, it, they, they change over time, but like, like right. you're saying, like they're, they're surrounded by people that like, this is just their casual conversation and it's okay. For sure. Them. Yeah. I'll tell you a flip on that if you don't mind. I, I mm-hmm. was playing Des- I was t- playing Destiny. I love Destiny too. Mm-hmm. And uh I was raiding and I was a I was in a group, you know, with five black men and yeah. they were just 
they were using the N-word just, you know, just normally and just, just the way they want to use it. And I, I, I said, listen, I, I got to go. And they're like, why? We're, yeah. we're having a good time. And I'm like, you know, you have every right to use whatever verbiage you want to use, but you're making me nervous. <laughs> you're, you're, you're making me really nervous. That, that word means something different yeah. to me. And yeah. you're, actually making, you're actually making my heart race. So even though yeah. you, you have no ill intent, I, I, I don't feel comfortable. You know, I, I don't want to hear this word because I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm physically uncomfortable because this is I don't want to get used to that word. I, I don't want to yeah. say that word out loud. I don't I don't want this to be part of my lexicon. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and you have every right to take back that word, take ownership of that word, repossess that word, reimagine that word. But that that's not really yeah. part of part of my education. It's not really part of. Yeah you know, of what I'm trying to teach human beings. So I, I really got, I really mm-hmm. got to go. And they, they understood. They understood. Nice. That's good. I mean, I've had yeah. similar conversations as well, like being black and telling people, like, I don't want to use that word. Like, I'm not going to call you that or anything like that. And I've had right. people question, like, oh, well, why don't you want to say it? Why do I have to? Right. Like, I don't need to refer to you that way. Like, that's not something – I'm not going to call you something that I'm not going to call – someone else like right I, I refer to people as my brothers and my sisters and like that whole really strong right. family community aspect so i can go to a black person like this is my brother i can go to an asian person this is my sister i can go to anyone and refer to people that way and that's comfortable for me because that's conjoining amongst the black community i know that they use the n-word to kind of like have terms of endearment for each other to show like that that's a person that that's my brother that's that's for me Right. And that just doesn't the, – the message doesn't retain the same for me. I want something that I can use universally, and that doesn't, again, like, create lines of separation. You know, like, right. I don't want to – even in my language. Like, I tell people all the time, like, the, the way that you speak to yourself is almost as important as the way that you speak to others. And I want to make sure that I'm speaking to me and to others in a way that is going to keep that connection between everything. Right. That's communication. That's communication yeah. right there. Yeah. You know, let, let's, let's switch topics for just, just a second there. First of all, yeah. I, I loved watching your daughter cheer you on as you broke that coconut. That was, that was <laughs> the cutest thing I've ever seen. I remember the first time I broke a coconut. I didn't have my daughter cheering me because uh, I, I don't have any children, <laughs> but I didn't have my daughter cheering me on. I'm like, that is the cutest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. So Kudos to yeah, you. Yeah, she's all about it. We'll we'll have coconuts in the house, and then she'll wake up in the morning. We'll like she'll have her vitamins. I'll make breakfast. I'll have my coffee, and she'll go, "Daddy, are we breaking coconuts today?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I am. I don't know about you. <laughs> she'll like, I'll try, and then she'll like, she'll come over, and like, she's she's fearless. She'll come over, and she'll like, she'll hit it a couple times. She'll go, "Uh, uh-uh, Daddy, now it's your turn. You do it." <laughs> <laughs> but we, we talk about it like i tell her like honey your hands aren't ready like your body has right. like you got to grow up you got to get bigger and she goes oh right. okay i'll break coconuts when i'm bigger daddy i'm like yeah i'll teach you how but it's gonna be oh, a yeah. long time <laughs> right <laughs> well children often don't understand that they have like you know they have ferrari internal organs but they have pinto bodies mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's like you're, if your if your spirit was your outside, you'd be a Ferrari. But oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but your body right now is, is like a gremlin. It's pretty much a Pinto. So just you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll we'll get there soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll build you. Up. We'll change all that stuff. 
Absolutely. Well, let's talk about your, your, your martial art experience. What, what, which style do you teach and how long have you been teaching? Um, so currently I teach two systems. I teach Aimute Shotokan Karate, um, which is the system that I started with when I was 13 under the teachings of um, Sensei J. Spyro in Ferndale, Michigan. And then I also teach, um, I'm the youth director at Baku Pai White Tiger Kung Fu on, um, on Westwood in Santa Monica. Under nice. the teachings of um, Sifu Dennis Wood and Shigong Tom Rizzo. Yeah. So I'm doing both. Um, I, know them. I have my own private students that I teach karate to because I was very adamant when I left. Um, I left Michigan, what is it, almost eight years now? Um, yeah. When I left Michigan, that I wanted to continue um, not only my training, but the, the legacy of my sensei because of all the things that I've received from her um, and right. all of the instructors that. Um, that she's taught that I've learned from as well. And right. when I started training in Kung Fu about six years ago, I mean, I've understood that my purpose in life is to teach. Um, my avenue is martial arts, and it comes from the self-respect aspect, the community aspect, the empowerment, um, all of that I can, I've translated through martial arts. So, like, I'll have conversations with people, and I'll go, I'm sorry for all the martial art references, but I can essentially tell you anything <laughs> if I right. translate it from like a <laughs> uh, martial arts standpoint, going into like philosophy and whatnot. Um, right. But I've been doing I've been doing martial arts for almost twenty years, and I started my teaching career when I was about sixteen, seventeen is when I yeah. started teaching quite often. Um, yeah, and I've been doing Baku Pai for for six years, and I'll be testing for my black sash in that system this December. Nice. Now, wasn't Sensei yeah. Rizzo, wasn't he a U.S. Marshal at one, one time? He was, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know him. He, he, uh, he came to my old dojo that, that I grew up in. Uh, he, nice. he used to be a U.S. Marshal. He was protecting an FBI agent from uh, the Russian mafia. And I was teaching the child. So he and I would sit. I used to have his card for a long time. But he and I would sit yeah. and talk to each other for a very long time, and I would teach this child. And I, I knew that he would go off to that school eventually and, and, and teach. I remember the day he retired as well. And if you tell him my name, if you tell him, if you tell him my name, yeah, tell him my name, yeah, because he'll remember that when he came over with the FBI agent, and he was watching yeah. classes. I remember I was like a third degree black belt at the time, maybe I was right before my fourth yeah. degree, right before I became a master or a shifu. Uh, he, uh, awesome. he, uh, yeah, he and I, he and I would talk to each other for a very long periods of time. I, I admired his gun, by the way. And I remember going to the shooting range because I've, I've been teaching, I've been teaching Glocks and Air 15s to the, to the government for uh, 27 years. I remember seeing him yeah. come in there with a, with his machine gun and explain to them, like, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> I'm like, awesome. That is awesome. He's like, I'm going to come in and shut this down. He still has that same type of presence. Like, I haven't seen him handle any guns, but whenever he even walks into a room, I remember the first time I met him, like, the, the energy in the room changes drastically. Yeah. And then yeah. being able to train with him over these past couple of years, like, when he starts, like, he'll be talking, and you're like, oh, okay, I've, I've gotten used to him, now I'm comfortable around him. And yeah. he's like, oh, that's Shizang, and he's doing his thing. And then he'll move, and you're like, oh, God. Okay, that, yep, the energy shifted again. And then he'll demonstrate <laughs> something on you, and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, please tell, please tell him that we talked, and uh, I, I'd love him to, him to know that uh, I still remember him to this day. 
It's been it's been quite yeah. a while. So you've been training these styles for 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 a bit. Now, now, did you say you came from Michigan originally? Yeah, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. Yep, I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, and I moved out to California um, eight years ago. Jeez, how was it like being a yeah. black man in Detroit, Michigan? Um, I'm growing up was kind of interesting because I'm not the I don't follow the the typical stereotype of what someone would see of like the the book cover of a black guy in Detroit. Um, right. Growing up on like both the east side and the west side of Detroit, pretty close to downtown for most of my life, like maybe 15, 20 minutes from downtown Detroit most, most of my life. Um, I got bullied a ton as a kid, like starting in elementary school, because right. the way that I'm talking to you now is the way I've spoken my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, yeah. we we have we have fourteen hundred people listening right now. Please explain to the audience what you mean by that. I, I, I that'd be a great education right there. So I'll do I'll do the the explanation of what I was told as a kid, and then I'll elaborate with an adult mind. Um, I was often called the Oreo, or I was told that I talk white because I enunciate my words and I speak clearly and I, I walk upright. Like I, I often I'm told that, Oh Jay, why are you walking with such a purpose? Like you're in the military. Like I walk with proper posture. Um, and I, I don't sound, I don't have, I don't use slang or I don't have like a, um, the vernacular is just different. My tone of speech is very different. Um, and I was often told that I, I spoke white. There are many times when I was a kid that I would call my friend to see if they could come outside and their parents would answer and they would go, we don't want any because they thought I was a solicitor and they'd hung up, they'd hang up on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> We're not going to take any calls from you guys. Please stop calling. Slam. <laughs> <laughs> All because of your articulation. That's hilarious to me. Because because of my articulation, um, so I got bullied. I got bullied a lot as a kid, like starting in elementary school. Um, right. I wasn't very sport savvy, even as a kid. Um, I was more of an artist, and when I finally did find some kind of voice growing up, I just wanted to be funny because I thought that funny people were they always had people around them and they were making people laugh and people were smiling and which means they weren't getting bullied. Um, so that's the kind of the avenue that I took is like my anti-bully type of thing. Um, didn't work. And that was, that was like the major thing growing up was that I was that whole difference of me versus the environment. Um, luckily I had my mom who, Two, I mean, the, the reason why I behave the way that I do and speak the way that I do um, is because she, she gave me the space at home going, you don't have to fit in. Like, you don't have to be like everybody else. Like, you're not supposed to be. Right. Um, you're meant for something that's not what you're around right now, and you just have to understand that. And it took a while. It took a while for me to come to terms with that. Um, but she constantly reminded me, you know, this, you're not supposed to be like everybody else. You should be different, be different, you know? Um, and that encouraging energy just, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 please, please. Um, that encouraging energy just gave me the space I needed, um, 
when I would get bullied and come home and I'd be crying and um, which all are like very still like very strong memories, which is why I, I still continue to do the, what I do through martial arts. Um, she would be there and just go, you know, it's fine. These things are going to happen and I'm going to be here and we'll get through all of this together and you'll find the people that you're supposed to be around, but it just might take time. Right. Did you ever have close friends of yours that would maybe speak out of turn and they didn't even realize it? Like saying that you talked white and things like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had that. I mean, it's one of the things where, like, it's that conditioning that you and I were speaking about that they're surrounded by people who will say these things about people. Like, um, I'm not part of the generation where people were being called Uncle Tom's really frequently. Um, But... I'm right after that. So like saying that someone talked white was then was like the, the next time wise of being an uncle Tom. Um, but they're around people who were, who would say that like, Oh, what do you mean? They talk white. Oh, well, you know, they don't sound like us or something like that. Or like they, they say these words or things like that. And my friends, some of them didn't realize it. They're like, Oh, Jay, that's just Jay. He's, he just talks white. That's just how he is. And, It was at that point where, like, I was so – I was being conditioned in that regard that, like, I didn't want conflict. I didn't want to be in a space where I was going to provoke someone to be upset and do something to me. So I just go, oh, no, it's okay. Like, I'm different. It's – yeah, that's what it is. And then we just go along the rest of our day. Right. But that that happened. Right. Have you ever had any, now I have had several encounters, you know, I went to college for criminal justice and forensic pathology, but I had had many, many encounters with the police department, mainly because I, I grew up in the era of the, of the Reagan era and the Carter era yeah. of, of, you know, of, you know, getting rid of drugs, cleaning up my, minority neighborhoods because I'm first generation. Mm-hmm. My father came from Sicily. My mother came from Japan. So they try to clean up like minority neighborhoods and what have you. Have, have yeah. you ever had any encounters with the police? Um, besides like casual speeding tickets, um, I haven't, but there have been, it's one of the things that like I've gotten through martial arts and through my, my mother and my aunt's teachings is just that there's not going to be anything that I can do. Stop law enforcement when I was younger. I mean, even still today, there's not anything that I can do to be what people would call the safe black person. Right. Like just because you speak the way that you do and you uphold yourself this way and you do these nice things, that's not going to stop the first impression. It's not going to start the, the initial vision. Um, but in that, I didn't really, besides like part, like speeding tickets, I haven't really had any intense um, uh, interactions with law enforcement. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. You know, a, I to... I've been privileged in that regard yeah. that I haven't had to deal with that personally, but I've been practicing empathy since I was very, very young. And when I see people going through these situations and my, my immediate reaction isn't just like, that's a really hard situation for them right now. I, my heart goes to, what is their family going to have to go through when they have to experience this? What's the trauma that lies behind that? So the, the 
fear of like, oh, I'm, I'm driving down the street and I know that a police officer is behind me scanning my tags and like driving really close, really slowly behind me or like turning with me down residential streets. The right. fear is there. Um, and that's just from the, the being in the experience with my communities. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And, and uh, your, your practicing of empathy, you know, shows why you're an educator. You know, empathy has the, you know, really gives a special power, the ability to understand where other people are coming from. And when you do, yeah. you're able to educate people in, in a way that otherwise they can never really learn from that. Unfortunately, you know, I've talked to so many black men and black women, you know, throughout my life. There's an obvious link to PTSD with a lot of their experiences with the police department yes. and with being segregated from the main, main populace. And it's, it's heartbreaking to, uh, to get that feeling from them that, you know, our environment that for a lot of us have been very safe and, and it's privileged for a lot of us, you and I, and what yeah. have you in, in, to certain degrees. And for them, it's been complete, the complete opposite. Yeah that they don't know if they can go to the store to go grab a bag right. of chips or, right. you know, can I walk down to my friend's house or right. anything? Right. Like, can I go to a, a public event, like an outside public event? I mean, there used right. to be all of the, um, the outside concerts and the arts beat right. stuff in downtown Detroit. And there's right. just, there's always cops everywhere. And I mean, for when I was growing up for good reason, there was, more often than not, there was always some type of situation. Um, there was either some type of fight or there was some type of shooting or something like that. So there was, there was a need for law enforcement there, but you have to think like if someone's had a traumatic experience, an unjust traumatic experience with cops, um, and then they want to go out and then they have to see that. And then all these things are going to flash back, these feelings and these memories and this right. visceral feeling within them i i can't imagine having to deal with that on a con on a regular basis yeah on a constant consistent basis that's that's really yes. training you it's really training you yeah. and how to feel visceral fear from a situation yeah. that normally it wouldn't bother anybody else right yeah, i wanted to tell absolutely. you about a story from michigan if you don't mind absolutely go right ahead uh, I spent the summer in Lilinaw in Sutton's Bay, uh, next to Kalamazoo in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And I had, a, I had a great time. But this, this is back in 91 when I went, 91, yeah. 92. So this is right when uh, we were about to have those riots. And yeah. we were going to a moonlight party. I swear on my soul, I thought I was going to be lynched. I I have actually faced a lot of racism in my life. But when they yeah. started going through the forest to get to this little river where their moonlight party was, I swear by the end, I thought I was going to see a burning cross and I yeah. was going to, and I was going to get lynched because that's that, that was my interpretation of small mm -hmm. towns and, and the South and not the Michigan yeah. is the South. It's certainly not the South, but you I know, mean, you go up North enough. Yeah. You'll start to get some feeling. Yeah. The South. Yeah. And you know, and, and it's something I, I forgot to tell my audience earlier, I'm so sick and tired of hearing that adage, 
you know, there's Texas and then there's America. There's Oklahoma and then there's America. There is, there's, you know, Missouri and then there's America. No, you're America, dummies. You're America, yeah. dude. Stop it. Stop <laughs> it with that. Stop it with that baloney. You're America. You okay? can't isolate these situations. You cannot isolate yeah. these behaviors and these teachings and these people because right. they're right. not just in these places. They're everywhere. Whether right. you see them actively or they're doing it behind their four walls in their house. Like, right. You can say there's Canada and then there's America. That's perfectly fine. Yeah, the Canada's really different. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> well, let's as let's a, put our, our as martial arts. You can't work in Canada unless you're a resident. I know, I know, I know. That's real different. <laughs> I know. The, they have two states. They got this one, this one. One speaks French, and the other one does not. But and we have the United States of America and some Commonwealths as well, which is fantastic. But let's put our martial yeah. arts brains together, and, and let's let's talk about the George Floyd tape, if you don't mind, for a second here. When you yeah. watch that yeah. video, and let's just talk about it as a human first. As a human, mm-hmm. what was your first response? Um, as a human, my immediate first response is that I can't watch all of this. And within the first, within the first minute, I'll say minute. Within the first minute, I go, yep, you've seen enough of this. You got to stop. And then I couldn't that I had to, I had to see everything. I had to see the, the length of what was going on. Um, and then still trying to exclusively speak as a human, letting the martial artist kind of take a back seat for a second. Um, the empathy, my immediately, my empathy shoots through the roof that I'm what he's saying, how he's the level of distress. When I heard the, the hardest part for that for me is when he called for his mother that's evil. Um, yes. That, I mean, that's been the hardest part for a lot of people. Him saying that I can't breathe is difficult. Hardest part was when he called for his mom that in that moment, um, I mean, Dave Chappelle said it beautifully in his most recent stand up thing, uh, his most recent special that he knew he was going to die, but it wasn't something that was happening instantly. Like, he knew for a long period of time that it was over and there was nothing he could do about it. So he called for his mom. And when he said that, it, it broke me. I cried. I couldn't handle that moment. And I wanted to stop watching it there. And I went, you have to, you have to finish it. You have to finish what's happening. You need to see this. Like the pain that is happening in this moment, you have to see it. Um, and then I put, I put myself in that, I put my, myself in those shoes. If I was in a situation and I had to, I, ex- Hold on a I, second. I, I we, verbally, we, go ahead. Can you, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. We, we, we got cut off. So we need to go back to oh, the mom okay. part. I'm so sorry. We got cut off. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, hearing him call for his mother was the hardest part of all of that for me, just because he knew for an extended that he was going to die. And that right. there was nothing in that situation that he could do to stop it. So right. he was calling for his mom. Like, no one else can help him but his mother that wasn't and, alive. And his anymore. mom was dead. Yeah, his, his mom, mom was dead. Like, he was calling to her. Like, I'm pleased. Like, I, like this situation, to me, what it translated to is that the life I am living right now right. is too hard. 
the only person that can save me, that can bring me comfort is you. And you are not here, and I'm coming. Please welcome me with open arms. That's what that translated to me. And, like, even now as I'm saying it, like, it, it starts to hurt again. Yeah. Um, and I put – I think of how his family is going to be affected by that. I put myself in those shoes and think about the the verbal exertion of that peril in that situation. I have a nephew who is nine. Like, he – like, for him, I, I, I start jumping. And then for me – um, one of the things that I was speaking about my wife recently is that the, the, the reason why everything is hurting so much right now is because all the answers that we could possibly need to know or any amount of information that we need to know is at our fingertips. And right. with that level of power of knowledge, now we're getting all this information from everywhere. And that's where the weight comes from, that not only do I have to I'm feeling the pain from George Ford. I'm feeling the pain of Breonna Taylor. Um, now there's all these instances. Now we're going back one year, three years, five years, 10 years, 15 yeah. years, 400 years. Like we're going all the way back. And every time that you have these situations, you feel that, that weight and you go, this has been going on for so long. And I can honestly say that I haven't really been, I haven't been knowledgeable of the, um, the gravity, the immense gravity of the injustice for black lives in America over the last 400, 500 years. I've been aware of it with, through myself, and I've been aware of it through the communities that I've touched, and I've seen some instances of racism, I've experienced some instances of racism, but I have been privileged enough to not have the degree of that level of injustice. Um, right. And in that knowledge, that's where the pain lies. That's where the, the gravity, where I can wake up. I mean, there was for the, the initial, like the first two weeks of the protests and everything, my immediate response was I wake up, I get my daughter up, I get her breakfast, I get my coffee, and then I start doing check-ins because I have friends who are going to protest. I have people right. who are all over the country who are going out, and doing like putting essentially putting their lives at risk. If they don't know if they're going right. to get hit with a rubber bullet, if right. uh, a riot going to break out during a peaceful protest. No, during the protest. Yeah. Um, no, I mean they can get the coronavirus as well. So they're really putting a lot, correct. a lot yeah, of things yeah, yeah. at risk. They're, yeah. they're putting their lives at risk. So I have to check in on these people um, for my own sanity, and like I want to be out there with them. And my daughter is here, and I have to, I have to take care of my wife and my daughter. And right. what ended up happening is that it hardened my resolve as a teacher, my resolve as an educator, that there's right. a role that everyone needs to play. We need the mm -hmm. people who are going out there, raising their voices and standing in front of them and trying to get the people who need to listen to listen. And then we need those who are going to be changing the next generation to lead right. people away from ignorance. And that's where the shift in that weight changed that rather than me feeling it on my shoulders, I was able to take it into my hands um, to kind of give some visual metaphors for that. Um, sure. And then it stopped being a weight. It more or less became like an empowerment that I have to be able to, I'm fighting that just as much as the people who are protesting. I'm trying to change 
the, the minds of the people who are willing, very big keyword, who are willing to be taught, right. um, who are willing, who want to be educated, who realize that the things that are happening are wrong, but maybe they've been raised in an environment where it did not give them the space to have an open mind and be accepting and have a broader sense of community than the four blocks surrounding your house. Um, And that, that's the the humanity that came out of me for the George Floyd video that it, it was very, I haven't watched it since I've only watched it once. um, And I, I personally, I don't know if I could, if I need it to sure. I don't know what other additional information I'm going to get from right. the second time, but right. the the effects that it needed to have on me hit, and I'm I'm trying to move forward with the community of people that I know who are also trying to move forward as well. Um, that's the human. That's the human in me that came out of that. Now let's put our martial art hat on. Mm-hmm. Now there was there was a, there was right. Let's put our martial art. Let's put our warrior hats on. So you had a woman yeah. there that was trying to protect him, a seventeen-year-old yeah. woman, by the way, who was incredibly brave, trying to protect yeah. him. And then you had another gentleman who's a security guard that knew at least enough jujitsu, enough to yeah. explain to the guy, you know, you know that he enjoyed what he was doing. You, you're you're actually shutting off his 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 uh, his, his breathing tube right there. As yeah. a martial artist, how did you see it? Brain. Yeah, exactly. How, how did you see that as a martial artist? Because I know what I thought. The the initial response was complete and absolute rage, um, right. without trying to like sugarcoat that at all. Like I was furiously angry, and I mean I've had conversations with my sifu and a couple of other students, and I like to kind of preface it. When I was training with my, my sensei when I was younger, one of the first things that we learned, and I was told that this is in, um, it's in a, I can't remember if it's a military handbook or some type of law enforcement handbook, mm-hmm. um, that self-defense is not a, um, it's not a vegetable knife. You can't use vegetable knives on everything. It should right. be a Swiss army knife, that there is a correct response to every situation and the ultimate level of response for whether you're using self-defense to defend yourself, to defend someone else, or to control a situation that has physically gotten out of hand, that there is a proper response every situation. And once the response has been put into play and the situation has changed, your response has to change with it. So we have a creed, and um, and I'm going to Shotokan, it's our self-defense creed, that obviously the first weapon of self-defense is your body language and your voice. And then we go into, you want to contain rather than hurt, hurt rather than be hurt, hurt rather than maim, maim rather than kill, and kill rather than be killed. So if you're in a situation where you're possibly going to be hurt, you can either contain rather than hurt, and if the escalation goes higher than that, you hurt rather than be hurt to change the situation. Then once the situation has shifted, you step down in levels. You have to step down in levels until the situation changes to where it needs to be so that you are safe, that the person that you are interacting with has had the least level of harm done to them possible. And the, situ- and the environment is safe as well. They're not causing any harm to themselves, to you, right. or to the people around you. Perfect. So for me to see 
the situation go from wherever it was to getting him out of the car, if even in the sense of he's struggling, he wants to get up. Okay. Right. You've done, you've done your movements. You have him pinned to the ground. You have him handcuffed and you have two other people assisting you in this, in this process. And now you have taken all of your body weight and you're putting three. it in one point of your body. Oh, three. three. Sorry. Um, <laughs> You have three people assisting you. You are taking all of your body weight and putting it onto one of the hardest parts of your body. Your right. knees and your elbows are one of the are the two hardest points of your body that they have to flex. Which they is why Muay Thai flex. uses it. Which is why Muay Thai uses them. Um, yeah. And you're taking that and putting it into a single point. You're a martial artist. You know one of the most painful hand techniques in either karate or kung fu is Ipon Ken or the Phoenix Fist, where right. you're able to take your finger, you take your fist and you put your thumb behind your, your index finger and you extend your first knuckle. This mm-hmm. hurts so much because you're, in, especially if it's conditioned properly and you have the proper technique to use it, it hurts so much because you're taking the force of your entire body and putting it into a single point. Right. That's where the penetrating power comes from. That's where the, the everything of that technique comes from. So you're taking all of your body weight and putting it on one of the hardest points of your body and then putting it on one of the softest points on another person's body while they're handcuffed, face down on the ground, restrained by three other people. Right. You have changed the situation moments ago. It's already de-escalated. You have now taken the time to go for eight minutes and, 48, and 46 seconds to continue the heightened level of response to a situation that does not require that level of response. So the martial artist in me is absolutely furious because it's whether is your training wrong, is your mental health wrong, right. and then one of – just to kind of like pick this out of there because it was a really powerful thing um, that Dave Chappelle had said. He had said, who are you talking to with this message? That right. you need, that you can do this, that you're going to take your knee and put it on this man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. What message are you trying to, to, to give out and to who are you giving it to? And why do they need right. to hear it from you? Part that hurt me the most, like the level of training and the response level in that situation with any of these situations that where you have police brutality amongst anyone is are we not having the training to make you understand that you have power in this situation that needs to progressively get smaller if the situation does not call for extreme force? If there was a gun in play and he wasn't handcuffed and he was firing, kill rather than be killed. Absolutely. He's not only going to cause harm to you, stray bullets can hit somebody else. Someone in the environment is going to get hurt. Great. Right. He is restrained. Right. He is being pinned down by three other people along with you, and something in your mind didn't click. That's where I, I bring up the issue of, like, there's probably mental health issues that, like – Right. And he has a history. He has a history. The, the guy who did it had a history of these things for years. He does. And yeah. you're going to tell me that, A, these instances get ignored, or, B, that the instances were – paid attention to enough to record them and to track them 
but nothing was put into play to stop them being him being suspended from the force. Whether I mean, you, I don't want to. I don't tolerate overexertion of force or violence at all. I tell my students if I ever find out that you're taking what I'm teaching you and you're using it wrongfully and you're going out and hurting the community, I am not going to teach you. And then. Like that's, that, a, that's that, just not how that is a, that is a very that is a very common attitude with with, with teachers <laughs> and what have you. If you're taking what I'm teaching you and hurting other people, I can't teach you how to shoot a gun. If you were going no. out there and shooting people with a gun, it's like that's it's no. impossible for me. To, it's not it's not even ethical for me to do that. No, you are an extension of like as I teach you, you are an extension of me. I am right. an extension of every instructor I have ever come in contact with. The right. philosophies, the techniques they've ever taught me, I'm an extension of them. I'm a showcase of their legacy and the legacy of the instructors before them back to the, the monks back in the Shaolin temples. That's right. That is how I carry myself. So for me to have someone who's going to take my teachings and use them wrongfully, I can't. I'm not going to. I refuse to. I mean, the younger me used to be like, if I ever catch you doing that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of it. But that's not the answer. Uh, but that's, that's the, that's the the grand issue for me is that where is your training? Where does your training lie? How long are you training? How often is your upkeep on your training? If you learn how to do a blood choke on a person and you do it in training and you see that it works and you do that, let's say you do a crash course for two weeks and now you can effectively blood choke a person if you need to, to make them pass out of the situation is it's, if it calls for that. Sure. And then, you don't use that blood choke for three years. So you don't remember or you have no type of feeling or sensitivity. That's the word I'm looking for. You have zero form of sensitivity to the exercise of what it requires. When I learned right. how to blood choke people, I got blood choked. And I got to experience how long does it take to turn the lights off. Mm. So when I teach it, I show where the blood choke does. I explain how this is happening. I don't turn anyone's lights off, but I go through it. They can feel it, and I let it disengage. And then I explain to them, this is what's happening to the body. This is the physiology of it. This is what you're going through. This is what happens afterwards. And then if it's held for too long, this is what occurs. Because there should be a, any type of training, whether it's military, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's martial arts. If you're just teaching and you're like just teaching kids, I mean, I teach a, a great deal of kids um, between both karate and for kung fu as well as, as, um, as adults, there yeah. is a heightened level of responsibility that you have to have over what you're doing. You have to. Um, we were talking about breaking coconuts earlier. There is a great deal of responsibility you have to have in doing that. Because right. a coconut is 3.4 times harder than the human skull. That's right. You could break the periodal suture to, so easy. Correct. You have to have that level of responsibility between right. I am able to accomplish this with my body, and if I am transferring these abilities to another person, they too need to understand the gravity of the decisions that they make whenever they use any of this. The moment that I put my hands in a defensive situation, I have to take responsibility of what is going to happen in that situation, whether it's me having to put a person in an arm bar plant them on the ground and contain them until they calm down or until authorities can arrive to deal with the situation differently. If I have to take a situation where someone has a knife or they're escalating the, excuse me, escalating the threat level of the situation, 
I have to take moral responsibility for what is going to occur. So if you are training in a crash course on how to do anything for two weeks and then you don't use it for three years and then you right. realize that in a situation it goes, Bing! oh, I remember how to blood choke people. Let me use that. And you don't have any sensitivity for it. You're going to use it recklessly. It's the right. same question of who is worse to fight in a, in a sparring match, a black belt or a white belt. Many people say the black belt because they fear the level <laughs> it's the of experience. It's the white belt, yeah. <laughs> it's the white belt because the white belt yeah. is reckless. Right. It, the white belt is reckless. They're going to do what they need to do instinctually to defend themselves. The black right. belt is going, is going to or should calculate their response and use what they need for that moment and not an ounce of energy more. So when you have right. these people who are going out into the streets who are meant to protect and serve, the community, if they do not have that level of responsibility behind their techniques, behind these things that clearly can kill people, whether they're using weapons, whether they're using nothing, they can clearly cause great deals of bodily harm or mortal harm to another person. You have to have a level of responsibility. You have to understand this is what I'm doing to another person. How do I t – if I need to use that level of response, is that appropriate for right now? Do I need to step down or does the situation call for the highest level of response? And you need to be able to psychologically assess that instantly. Right. And that doesn't come from a crash course. That comes from training, repetitive training. I've been teaching my students for years that violence is like salt. That once you add yeah. salt to pasta sauce, uh, you can't take it out. So you put a little bit right. in. And you can always add more later on. But you want to put the minimal amount inside there and then assess the situation. Yep. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking when you see this. I want to move on to Breonna Taylor because that, mm -hmm. that case re really, really <laughs> causes some concern for me as a warrior. Because, you know, the, the, yeah. the, because they had a no-knock warrant. Mm -hmm. And under their state laws the boyfriend had every right to pull out his gun when he, when he heard the knocking on the door, when he 100%. didn't know who was coming in, pulled out his gun, shot a bullet through the door, hit an officer in the leg, and they put in about 36 bullets and just ripped her apart. She was shot eight yeah. times. As, as, a, as a warrior, it's, it's insane. It's insane to think about that as a situation, but... I, I think that the boyfriend was completely just. And when I, when I look at a lot of these campaigns, like, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, we want justice for her. We want that. I've been thinking about, I want justice for him because yeah. I'm afraid that they're, they're really going to stick it to him in, 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 in the courts. It. Yeah. The fact that like the no knock warrant, I'm not super privy to, um, like the law enforcement warrant warrant systems, like how they right. can how they can do what they do, but in the in the regard of okay, we have a no knock warrant, which means we can just come in your house. Cool. Well, let, let me so let me give you a little house. let me yeah, give ahead. you a little explanation of what happened in the case. What what happened Please. was that there was a, a, a gentleman. I shouldn't say gentleman, but there was a, there was a guy that was a drug dealer that was from some some part of way that she had some connection with somehow but they believed mm -hmm. 
that she was getting these packages from him, which she was not. She was not getting mm. these packages from him. And at the time where they were getting this no-knock warrant, which means you don't have to knock on the door, which now they abolished, by the way, but you don't need to knock on the door. They had already captured him, and he ha- they had him in police custody. But it was based on false information that she knew who he yeah. was, that she was in consistent contact, which was just untrue. She was not in consistent contact with him. She was not receiving packages. Packages were not delivered to, to her house. Neither of them had any police record whatsoever. He did not have a police record, and he owned that gun legally. So yep. let's continue. The I kind of lost my train of thought. Honestly, sorry. Like I'm, my <laughs> so, mind so is going about, to them, I know, them right? Her house and <laughs> right, just, just riddling her with like she's in her bed sleep. Yeah, she's in her bed sleep, and you shot wildly a like the the accuracy is terrible like if right. you cannot if you cannot detain a uh, contain a situation and you have to fire all of those bullets like the again the the warrior in me your training is wrong your right. training is wrong i don't right. have any other rational explanation besides the fact that you are given something and you a you're not given the responsibility and then you're right. not getting proper training. You're not getting proper continued training because anyone can go, hey, here's a gun. What is that? Well, it's this machine that does this. You take this, put this in here, pull this. It does that. Cool. Is there anything else you need to know? Nah. Go. Like, no, <laughs> you have to – the responsibility you have to have right. with the machine that is literally built to kill things. That is the only job of a gun. It is meant to kill things. So for you to have a situation where a woman, a black woman, can be in her bed sleeping and you guys feel the need that you have to fire enough bullets to, A, miss like crazy, and then, B, hit her eight times? Right. Where is the level of control in the situation? The, the situ, if they could have very easily, like if they had to, go into the situation, no-knock warrant, cool they didn't give you permission to just go in someone's house and kill them in their bed you you don't have to knock on the door but then you have to lose all sense of humanity with that no knock warrant just because i don't have to knock on your door i can like rush in your house do what i want and then that's fine like right there has to be a level of connection between what you're doing and how you do it you know something something makes me believe that they would have killed a baby in that incident, that things would be a little different right now. Oh man, absolutely. It you know would, what I mean? It would be even. It would be even further. Like the whole situation yeah. in itself is awful, and You're right. like the the need to push the for change in that. But if you add a kid into that, right, right. that would have been insane. That's not lighter fluid or like a quick little napalm that's accelerating that fire. Like they've taken right. that fire. And they've made it into a volcano almost instantaneously. Yeah. Because the the humanity in that situation is already it's it's clearly not there. Right. So if you can <laughs> if you can kill a person in their sleep and you can kill a kid, this isn't Game of Thrones, dude. You can't just walk in someone's house and knife their kid because you don't want them to take heir <laughs> to the throne. Like that's not how this works. <laughs> right. Right. Well, it reminds me. It reminds me a lot of like Aubrey when you know he's going for a jog, 
You know, the, yeah. he, he, he looks at a house that uh, that's under construction. And by the way, they did release video of inside that house where children came to visit. A couple came to visit. Other people were visiting that same site. It, it's a it's a house being built. People are curious. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the first man blocked his way, had a gun so, somewhere inside his car. And then the two other guys were hunting him down, trying to do some kind of uh, citizen's arrest. Now, I, I, I'm yeah, perfectly. That's not I think your job. You I, yeah, I, I think you and I are perfectly aware of what a citizen's arrest is. But, but to, to arrest a man who, especially for property, I'm, I'm telling you, yeah. If you kill a man for property, you've got real problems with your cerebral cortex. Like your Correct. brain is not working on the same level as everybody else because we're talking about yeah. property. That's not worth somebody else's life. Just like a twenty dollar bill. Is not worth somebody's life. Right. The other thing that we're taught in self-defense is that if someone has a gun to you, you don't go, I'm going to take this gun away. I'm going to defend myself against this gun. If they ask for your underwear, you take them off and you give it to them because there is nothing on your person. There is no physical object that is worth more than your next breath. Nothing. Right. Right. So what you're saying, I agree with 100%. Like these, these people have their priorities, and their, their whole way of thinking is so backwards that they think like, right. oh, this is a house. You shouldn't be over here. Why would you touch that? Even if right. you took something, now I have to kill you because you want what they had? You want what they supposedly took or like whatever, whatever the case may be? You feel that right. someone's life is worth a physical object that can be lost, broken? Exactly. Like, you know, I, I suggest a, a great a, a great movie for you to watch. It's uh, mm-hmm. Kurosawa's last movie called Matadayo. Mm. And uh, this guy is, is great. It's a great movie. It was Kurosawa's last film before he died. But it was this German professor they called Sensei. And mm-hmm. um, they were worried that there were criminals that were trying to steal from him and, and they would come to his house. So what happened was his two students came into his house illegally. They wanted to see, like, how safe his house was from, from, from burglars. And yeah. when they went to the middle of his house, they found all of his personal possessions in, in a center. And they said, this is for you thieves. It was all his personal possessions. <laughs> and they just laughed, <laughs> and then they laughed. <laughs> because he, he didn't believe that his life was worth his personal possessions. Yeah. And, they're like, and then okay, in what we under- part of what? the world now, like, where should you? Yeah. Where should yeah. you honestly believe that, like, I mean, like, when you die, you take nothing with you. Nothing. Regardless if it's buried with you or anything like that. Like, you leave more than you take by right. 100%. Especially, like, that's the ideology that I have as, as an instructor and as a father. Because right. I am leaving the legacy of everything that I've cultivated in this life and passing it to other people. And there is right. no physical object that I can even buy or build that will ever even amount to the impact that that has on the planet. But I don't need to take anything. No. Our influence on our students is, is more of a possession that, that, you know, you can't buy those things you you no. can't sell those. You know what I mean. You can take it with you, and you can't pass them on. Those things are eternal. But right. like a MacBook Pro, I mean, 
come on, man. Sooner or later, it's <laughs> yeah. not going to be worth anything. Uh, and the future generation, they're not even like, you know, have computers the same way. It doesn't even make it's any gonna sense. It's going to break. The battery's going to die. The monitor's going to break. The keyboard's going to stop working. It's going to turn into a paperweight in your house. Like, exactly. <laughs> but the influence is always going to stay. The love you give to your daughter oh. is always going to stay. It's always going to be passed on. It reflects upon yeah. their life. It changes who they are. And that, that's the difference between perhaps you and I as, as, as uh, instructors or as teachers and other people who really don't feel like they have any connection to the human race yeah. or have any, you know, those cops who, who killed George Floyd, they had influence. They yeah. had instructional power. They had a lot of things to give to society. And they have it they solely fought. on their appearance. They don't exactly. even have to do anything. They can literally nope. walk into a room and they can change people's lives because of what they wear, because of what they represent. Right. Right. They had so much real, real power. Not the gun, not the baton, not the mace, mm-hmm. not not your your by the way, babyish martial art moves that you that you use because the knee on the neck is yeah. a, is a really cowardly baby move when somebody's handcuffed, by the way. So I just want to make that yeah. point to him. And I hope one day he <laughs> listens to this. It's a really baby move, by the way. Um, yeah. You know, the influence that he had over people, over his community, was way far more superior than his violent tendencies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what do you, what, let me ask you a question. What do you, what do you want to see change? In our atmosphere, in, in, in our world right now, because we have Black Lives Matters going on right now. I've been protesting yeah. several times, but I use my medium right here as my major protest yeah. right now. How do you want to see the world change in the next, let's just say, year? Um, personally, I mean, like, there's obviously, like, things within our, our national system that have to be shifted. Um, but for me, I want more of that collectiveness and the education out of what's going on that the omission of information between different cultures because this isn't just a um, an issue that's happening to black people it's happening to everyone and it's happening a lot to black people so we're pushed in the forefront that we are the right the heroes of the situation because it's happening to us the most so we have to fight for that and change that for everyone we're changing it for black lives black lives matter because it's affecting us the most we're getting hit the hardest but mexicans are being affected by the by the police asians are being affected by police like there's there's something wrong native americans system native americans it's everybody yeah it needs to change for everyone so the systematic changes that have to occur but there's the the collective that has to occur as well. And I believe that the protests have been the step in that direction because it is very different be, um, from like Black Panther rallies. How many right. white people, how many Asian people, how many Muslims, how many anything, how many of these people are you going to see in a Black Panther rally? You're not. Right. You're a bunch of black right. people. <laughs> yeah. You have these protests where you have tens of thousands of people around the world I want to point that out, that it's not just something like, oh, it's, we're only having protests in America, or like they're only happening in California and New York and Minneapolis and the places where things are actually happening. This is happening everywhere. Right. Germany, because, England, 
Germany, England, yeah. Italy, France. Yeah. It's happening right. everywhere. I know people who are who live in Japan who said that there have been protests in Japan. That's right. South Korea. This is a global issue. Right. It's I mean, granted, we've had two global like the recognition of two global issues happened back to back. Right. You have the coronavirus hit everybody and now you right. have this global awareness of what's happening to people happening to black people through the police system. There are things that need to change, and the collective energy that is needed for that has already started. Right. So, like, yes, the, 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 some of the, the media coverage on the protest isn't as heavy as it was when the protest first started, um, but the collective energy that, is, that needs to be used for that is still in motion. People are still speaking out about it, and it's not just black people. It's not just people trying to tell their own narrative in, like, what you're doing right now is a prime example of that. It's not just a black person with a medium talking about Black Lives Matter and wanting to encourage black people to, to, to use the energy needed to fix this. Right. It's everyone. It's everyone who's coming together to try to figure out how do we make our voice big enough for those who need to listen to hear us. Because right. clearly, if we're doing, if there was the Black Panther rallies in the past, and there have been black people protesting and fighting against injustice for so long. We need bigger voices. We need more. We need more of a collective voice to get that the decibels higher because people aren't listening. They're not listening. But now that you have this happening all around the planet, you can't help but listen. You have to hear. Whether you want, where you put earplugs and you put a sound canceling headphones on, where you go to the top of a mountain, you're gonna hear it. You know, I, and I would within like, the next, go ahead. No, please continue. No, please continue. Um, with, within the next year, the energy that's going into that—that's the motivational thing that I that I've wanted to see out of all of this. The systematic changes that have to go into place, of course. But I'm a person who, um, I feel the the ways of Eastern medicine of um, Eastern medicine of the preventative right. things that we need to not only fix broken leg here, but we need to make right. sure that we don't break our leg again. We can't right. keep breaking our legs. We have to find a way to make it so this will stop happening. And, of course, right. there's going to be some bumps and some bruises and some scrapes that are going to happen to that leg, but the point is to prevent the break. Are you, are you happy to see how people have gotten together and found the mutual cause? Nothing makes me happier because there is, there is such a abysmal, an abysmal feeling that comes out of the out of solitude and when you have i've had people calling me that i haven't spoken to in years calling to check in on me just to like let me know that they're thinking about me and not even like calling and say like oh i want you i just want you to know that i think black lives matter too that's not what they're calling for they don't have to say that it's been from people that i haven't spoken to in years people people that um i haven't seen people who are around the world who call the check-in on me. That's nice. And that's, that's that important community, like tribal type, um, tribal type energy that I live in, that I'm a person that I know all of my neighbors. I moved into this new house and I know all of my neighbors within the first week. I know them by name. They know me. They know, they know my wife. They know I have a kid. They know I have right. two dogs and what they look like. 
because there is always going to be a situation that I was, I was raised on the idea of resourcing, that if there is something that I cannot do, that there is going to be a resource around me that I can have to help assist in what I need done, but I am also a part of that resource. Yeah, but I, that, I, think, you and I, are, I think you and I are very different, whereas the fact that, you know, as educators, we're also communicators. So communi- communicating, yeah, and that's ve- those are very important tools to communicate with your neighbors, to let them know. Let mm-hmm. people are like, why do, why do I need to know my neighbors? Communication is very important because if they know mm-hmm. who you are, there's a sense of security. There's a sense of we know who you are. Uh, we're a community. Yep. We want to be a community. And, and also we helping, want to be I, a community. I, absolutely. And I, I grew up in the era where we watched out for each other. Like we really, yeah. you know, wanted to take care of each. Like we wanted to hear each other's property. You know, n- not like in the mm-hmm. Aubrey case. I mean, that's 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 watching out for your neighbor in a crazy way, in a but, really stupid way. <laughs> I mean, they could have called the cops. I mean, there's so many things that could have happened there. There's so many instead of going after the guy with a shotgun and a forty-five. I mean, that's. I mean, taking the law in your own hands. You know what? What I would teach my students a lot of times, what I would do is I, you know, I would, I would have them ask me a question and then I would yell at them. And then I would go, mm. is that the, is that the proper energy? Mm. And they, mm-hmm. and they go, no, that's not, that's not the proper energy. And I'm like, that, that's exactly the situation out there in the streets. If somebody like tries to hurt you or tries to communicate in a way and then you just bump it up a level. You, yeah. You, you have to listen to somebody and give a, an appropriate response, appropriate energy, and build upon that building block. You can't just go yeah. in like all guns blazing. Mm-hmm. That makes obviously that makes sense to you. Because there's things that you can't fix from doing that. Right. There's there's a couple there's a theme of some videos that are going around like social media and whatnot. Um, it's actually really powerful, and I'm a big fan of the message behind it. That they'll have someone there'd be two people. Um, one of them, I'll use the Oreo one because I like cookies. Um, one of them hands, them, um, hands another person an Oreo, and they go, all right, hold that Oreo. Now break it, and they break it in half. Now throw it across the room. Now go pick it up. Tell it you're sorry. Like, pick up the two pieces and tell it you're sorry. They say they're sorry. Like, is it the same? They go, no. Do you understand what just happened here? That you've done something to something, and no matter what type of way that you apologize, you can't take back the, the reaction you can't take right. back the effects of what you've done to that. There's nothing right. you can do. You can rebake the co- – no, you're trying to change it now. Like the original state of what you had it in is no longer the same. There is right. going to be some level of effect on that forever. Now, forever. That, that, that is almost like what I was talking about earlier where communication is not what you say but what people understand or heard. The translation. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Those are those are frightening concepts. There, you know, when you look at the Confederate flag, and and you mm-hmm. look at when you look at the love or the or the admiration that, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not going to name any political figures, but that mm-hmm. the admiration oh. that people. <laughs> I just I just don't want to do that. But, but um, you know when you we, <laughs> but we both know where I'm talking about. Uh-huh. <laughs> but when you when you see the admiration that people have for like Fort Bragg. After yeah. generals, by the way, these generals sucked. They didn't suck because they were racists. They didn't suck they because they were in the good. South. They were not good we're celebrating generals. losers. Yeah, they were losers. They were losers 
with their own people. Their own people didn't trust them. A lot of them, their, their, their people rebelled against them. A lot of times people wrote poorly upon them. And by the way, Robert E. Lee wrote a comment saying, do not make statues. Direct statues. Right, because it, it divides yep. people. It divides mm-hmm. human beings. And, and then you have statues about him. It, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. So when you see NASCAR, you know, which I don't know why people are going crazy over this, because you know, I re- I've always respected NASCAR, but when you, see, when you see NASCAR changing and saying, we're getting rid of the Confederate flag and what have you, how do you feel about that? I immediately ask, why was it there? Yeah. Why was it there? Like you're, right. you're an automotive sport league. Yeah. Why is it there? I mean, like there's obviously like the stereotypes of, of the general person who likes NASCAR. And if right. you were ever to see like uh, the meme of that, like um, your NASCAR fan starter kit will have these select things. And one of them will be a Confederate flag. <laughs> Jeez, and, I shouldn't laugh, but yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, is that like, I mean, I, I tell anyone that the, the stereotypes of anything are always based on some type of information that is built on there. And then it's extrapolated right. in some weird offensive way. But right. you have, I mean, this is prime example. You have that, oh, we're going to take down the Confederate flag. It has no business there in the first place. Right. You have a checkered flag, which has a purpose. It's meant to let right. you know when people have gone by a certain point in the race. Great. Right. It has no value there. It's the same thing that we were talking about. We're almost coming full circle. Are the symbols. Right. The question is, do these people understand the power and the meaning behind the symbol that they're praising? Some people believe that the Confederate flag is about states' rights. But it's not about states' rights. It's not. It's, it's about the South was fighting for the for the the institution of slavery. That's what the flag yeah. was created for. It's for the it's for the whole. And when people say like we have to hold on to our heritage, really, you want to remember? You want to put a statue of Hitler up there? Like you want to yeah. put a statue of Pol Pot? You want to put a statue of like Saddam Hussein? Like, wait, wait, are you crazy? Like, we're the only society I know of that wants to make statues of losers. Mm-hmm. Like, seriously, just losers. I and mean, we have so many heroes like Senator McCain and, you know, General Powell. Powell and, mm-hmm. and so, so many heroes People in our who have country. had a positive impact on our history and our future. <laughs> I mean, come on. We have Martin Luther King. We have Malcolm X. We have, you know... We have so many people. Uh, the first black woman that ever that, that ever flew th- across the Atlantic, um, mm-hmm. George Washington Carver. You know what the interesting thing is? George Washington Carver, when they put up a statue of George Washington Carver, they didn't put up a statue of him. They put up a statue of the machine he built. That goes to show you how, how crazy people are. You know, like we and, can't have this image here. We can't I let know, people. Because, we can't show. It conflicts with our idealisms of what black Americans are, which is what Americans? Contri- right. contri- contributors? Contributors. Uh, be, they, <laughs> I mean, if you didn't have, if you, first of all, if you didn't, I don't know if you ever watched Glory, but if you didn't have the 15th over there in the Civil War, the Civil War would never mm-hmm. have been won. If you didn't have the Tuskegee Airmen, the, the yep. war wouldn't have won. If you didn't have black Americans 
and not a lot of people know this, but if you didn't have black Americans leaving America and going over to Europe to fight in World War I because there was no person who's going to allow a black man or a black woman to fly a plane in America, which is why you have a lot, a lot of black French, black English, black Germans, mm-hmm. because they, cause they went over to Europe because we were too racist, too racist. Yeah. So, you know, that's insane information to me. So we should celebrate real heroes. And when you, when you have these bases, name, at, name them after real heroes, man. Nobody wants to go after Fort Bragg. By the way, Bragg was an asshole. Yeah. Brad was an asshole. I mean, he, he was not a good person. He he didn't fight for a good cause, and he lost like a coward, you know. And these guys yeah. brought up arms and killed our own people. They killed Americans. They killed mm-hmm. our army officials. It, that makes I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Does it make sense to you? Not at all. Not at all. It's that it's a celebration of losers, is what we're talking about. And like, I don't mm-hmm. I don't understand why do we have to put someone in that position to mark that point in history that isn't actually doing something beneficial to the people. Right. Right. That's where the confusion lies. I don't know if you heard earlier, but I'll go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. I was going to say, so when people was going back to the Confederate flag part, when people are upset about like the, the removal of that in NASCAR, like, do you understand what you're celebrating? Like, do you right. understand the line of, and again, it's that translation, but it's not about what you think about this, this portion of it. Right. The collective translation of what you have. If you right. put a swastika in front of somebody, they're going to panic. Right. They don't, they don't know the word. Like, oh, well, that's not my origin. That's, what I, that's not what I know about the Confederate flag. It means <laughs> this. But do you also yes. understand what it translates to to the world? Right. But these are people who are not empathic. They're not based on the community. They're only concerned about what is happening within the four walls of their own home and the few four walls of the other homes surrounding them who think like them, which is very specific. Yeah. When you look at how the 1,503 memorials were put up, you know, 718 statues, they happened Mm -hmm. in 1900 and 1920 during the Jim Crow era. And mm-hmm. then it happened again during the 1950s and 1960s during the civil rights movement. It was obviously a sign to black America. Absolutely. 100%. I understand that you're fighting for these things, but I want you to know that we are going to immortalize the parts yeah. that we want to see, and then you will be forgotten or you will be put down in books or you'll have to be passed down in stories. That's right. Because that part isn't important to us. And I wonder how many people who hold up the Confederate flag also get mad, and I said this earlier, also get mad at Colin Kaepernick for taking a knee against yep. police, police brutalism and not against soldiers, but against the American <laughs> flag that doesn't necessarily represent us. And we had, you know, what's his name from the Saints? Uh, you know, I forgot what his name is, but what's his name? Because I've been talking about him all week long. What's the name from the Saints? The, uh, the, the, and he was saying, I, I, won't, I, I won't let anybody not, not respect, you know, the flag, the, the way they do, taking a knee. You know, my, my parents, you know, were, my family were in World War II. You know, their family was in World War II, too, as well. Mm-hmm. And well, when you're not going to make mention of that. 
That's right. And their family was in World War II as well. And when they came back to America, they came back to a different America than your grandparents did. Yep. So I wonder yeah. how many I wonder how many of those people who are holding up those those uh, Civil War flags, the Confederate flag, really understand the contradiction and the hypocrisy of taking blame at Colin Kaepernick for standing up for Americans by taking a knee. You know, because mm-hmm. they're they're not respecting the American flag. If you respected the American flag, you get rid of the Confederate flag. Because the Confederate flag right. is a contradiction to the American flag dummies. How do you have how do you how are you a patriot to a country when you feel that you need to be represented by a different flag from a different time? Right. And a time how where people that were sense? against that flag. Correct. How are we the? How is it the unite? How do you represent yourself as a patriot of the United States of America, but you are separating yourself? Right. <laughs> oh my God. It just it the hypocrisy is mind blowing. <laughs> right. Right. It, it just it really just makes your brain. I mean, as warriors and as martial artists and as 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 teachers, as educators, it really just makes your mind go go into like some kind of vortex. Where it just mm-hmm. doesn't make it doesn't make a lot of sense, <laughs> and and to make sense of it is like is to make sense of, uh, you know I don't know like, I, I you know what I can't even use a comparison almost almost like yeah almost like space physics space physics and earth physics do not match they don't match yeah that's that's the biggest mystery of physics and when mm-hmm. we, when you talk so about so much unknown information. <laughs> Absolutely, and some things just don't make any sense. Some things just right. don't make any sense, and it's a mystery. And when these people do things like this, I, I you know, maybe it's too complex <laughs> to bring this up like that, but <laughs> it, it's the same kind of complexity. Complexity to yeah. me, it's like you do understand that you're going against your the very nature of the thing you're standing up for, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the thing. I mean. Bruce Lee talked about it, and I'm going to quote him for this part, is that rolling water never, grow, never grows stale. So you have to keep on flowing. And I right. feel that the people who are trying to attach themselves to this flag and the ideas that came behind this flag or whatever misconstrued ideas they have in their whatever, – whatever misconstrued beliefs they have in their hearts about what this symbol means, that they are stuck, that they don't right. want to move forward. They are willingly choosing to be the rock in the river – and not allowing them to flow with the time. They're not allowing them, themselves to adapt because they believe that this one instance is when, I mean, look at the, look at the quote from the official that we're not going to talk about. Right. What, is, what is the quote? We're going to make something great again. <laughs> right. So we're going to like, so it was great before, you don't want to adapt. You don't want to move forward as a collective right. and do things that are going to keep advancing. Why do we have to go backwards to it? You can't. Again, this is space physics. It's a contradiction. You can't go backwards to advance. It right. doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't make sense. And even in well, fighting, you, if you're going to step back to advance, you're doing the – you're not like I'm going to keep going all these ways back to try to figure out how this thing works and then just kind of revel and turn my back on the future and just revel in this, this magic that happened at this old time. There are reasons for that. Right. 
you know, I, I really, you know, I, I'm going to, I, I, I want to say this out loud. You know, I, I, what mm-hmm. I really loved about those white supremacists going across Virginia, what I really admired about, about what they did was that they were being recorded by 4K, 6K, and 8K cameras. Mm. <laughs> and your face will be recorded forever. Forever. And forever, forever, bro, forever as the as the khaki pants white supremacists. <laughs> there is nothing awesome. more. Good. There is nothing more immortalizing than the technology that we have right now. Oh, I nothing. I adore it so much. I when I saw that, <laughs> I, I, and people were upset. I was like so happy. I'm like, oh, thank you for showing yourself, because you know yep. you, you know that there's some a, a bunch of bored teens that are just. Capturing pictures, finding out mm-hmm. who they are, making a database. Yep. It's like it's like you. Th- if you think you're going to get away with this, if you think you're going to you can't be, fr- you can't with anything anymore. You're no. done. Like you do anything, done, and dude. we know who you are. We know how to find you. Like, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for taking like, your mugshot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you for willingly taking we, your mugshot. We now we, we can we had no idea who you were. Now we know who you are. So, so thank hi, you. Guys. I, I, hi, I, I admire you so much for being so brazen and for, for not thinking, for having too much faith in American culture, because we are a revenge culture in certain areas because we have oh, new yeah. technology. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, when you, when you have like some of these, uh, you know, you know, being black while while bird watching, being black while jogging, being black while you know walking down the street, being black while picking up trash in Colorado, being black while you know, sleeping, like being black while sleeping, being black while about breathing, being black while holding mm-hmm. onto a hoagie in New York. You know, yeah, these things will always be remembered. They'll always mm-hmm. be remembered, and, and the. You know, it's just like Will Smith said, it's like racism is, is not changed. It's just being recorded. And, right. and thank, thank God for technology because it really, it really it's really things. making an impact on the, on the movement that it's pushing forward. That's what I was, um, I was talking about earlier, about we just have an unlimited amount of information at our fingertips. So right. we're able to have the impact of not only what's happening directly around us in our vicinity but around the entire country around the entire world for generations right so we get to feel the the power in the urgency for change right because it's not just it's not just like oh this is happening to one person this has happened over the past couple of weeks it's been happening for generations and it's got to stop it's got to change yeah you know Things will either change or time will change it for you. It's something I've taught Correct. for many, many years. You know, you either change or time will change it for you because nothing wants to stay still. Nothing wants to stay stagnant. It'll, Mm-mm. you know, like it's kind of like a river, you know, that's just still. Eventually that dam will break. Mm-hmm. It'll snap there's, free. There's going to be some type of pressure. There's going to be something within yeah. that, that even though it's not moving, something right. is changing. Right. Something is changing. As water starts to recede on mountains, like in, like from the Grand Canyon is a perfect example. Like, yes, that water is stagnant and it's not moving, but it's eroding 
the earth around it. It's changing the physiology of the world around it. There's always change. You're never just sitting still. For people who think that they are, they're being left behind. They're basically – they're being eroded in the position in which they choose to stay. In Buddhism 101 says the only constant in the universe is change. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you, let me ask you a question. We don't, we don't have we – act, we actually only have a couple minutes left, you know, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so Absolutely. much Thank for – Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your wisdom with with our audience here. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. And please send send my my love to to uh, Sensei Rizzo. Uh, I, I hope of uh, I hope we contact each other very soon. I'd love to talk to him and see how he's how he's doing and what he's up to. Um, but have you been teaching your black students differently since the George Floyd incident? My, my emphasis on, um, trying to remember or the students. order. I should my just em- say or students. My students in general, um, because it's, I, I have the, the collective mentality that everyone yeah. is, everyone needs to learn the same thing. We, um, you know, I'll be honest, you know, if you don't mind me saying mm-hmm. to my audience here, you know, as yeah. martial art teachers, we, we, we live in a socialist society. We, we create yeah. a socialist society where we're all even, and we we live in an issue where it's, I'm in charge and you are not. So it's a monarchy to a certain extent mm-hmm. because the teacher's yeah. in charge, and well, quite honestly, you're not in charge. But it is a socialist society where everybody everybody gets treated equally. Now, please correct. Um, I've been really encouraging the. There's a three E's that I've been using, which is education, empathy, and empowerment that I've been really pushing those concepts more because I teach conceptually rather than going, this is the finite version of this. This is how you should learn right. it. Um, I try to give all of my students the, the seed of information, and it is their responsibility to take care of it. And the way that they care for it will change how the seed grows. But that's how it should be because every generation, every evolution of the information that's given to us should be changing with time. Um, so I've I've just really been pushing the the concepts of like this is our community this is what we do together if there's anything that we need to do as a collective to move forward that's what we do but we do it together communication is key through anything that we're doing if someone's having a hard time with their mental health from what's going on like I check in with the students in regards to that if they're not comfortable talking to their instructor like I open up the avenues for other students to let them know that what they're, they're talking about amongst themselves is okay with everyone. So I just want really everyone to understand that like power of education of what we're going through is going to be really important moving forward, that the practice of empathy, that being able to understand the severity or not even just the negative portions of it, but the understanding of the severity of a situation or the immense joy and happiness that someone can experience is a part of everyone's experience that someone getting there, someone being able to break a coconut for the first time isn't just a, 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 a joyous event for them. That's for everyone. Everyone got to witness this person leveling up, which makes everybody stronger. And then the empowerment of going that everybody knows what they, what they have, what they can be given, what they can contribute to everything. 
And I think going over, I really emphasize everything because I don't want people to think that their community just lies within who they can see. Right. With social media, with the internet, with everything, our reach is global. I have people that I just recently started creating connection with in London who are martial artists. I have people who are in India that I connect with um, who are martial artists and the reach is everywhere. One of the, one of the things that I really spoke about um, with my wife, I was like, I really have to like, I have to control myself during this interview because I know that we're going to talk about some things that I've, I have really strong feelings about and I get really riled up and my energy gets really high. Mm -hmm. I can't cuss. I can't use profanity because I teach a lot of children. And in the event that the parents of the children that I teach, that they want to be able to listen to this and be able to hear, to receive the information, they can receive the, the anger and the emotion because that's part of it. But they don't have to receive the message that in order for you to get your point across, you have to do, you have to express yourself this way because that's not what I want. That's not what I'm, gonna, I'm teaching to my daughter. And I want the, the information to be palatable by someone who is perfectly fine having, I mean, sure. we're having a conversation and that it's perfectly fine for someone in their eighties or nineties, fifties, sixties. But I also want someone who's 10. I want my students who are right now, who I have that um, we have students that are eight, that they right. listen to everything that I say in great detail. So it is my responsibility as their yeah. student, their mentor, their educator to make the information that to make the intense, emotions that I have translate to them that is not only a way to communicate my emotions, but to give them the education that they need to, if they are really angry about something, that they can find ways in this interview to express themselves without having to resort to foul language or resort to hitting things or anything like that. Like there's ways, anything that I do in speaking is um, in anything, honestly, is for forms of education. Like I said before, Jay, you know, thank you so much for joining us today. We, we greatly appreciate your knowledge, your patience, and, and your time. Is, is there any way, uh, if, if you want to share with our audience mm-hmm. here, how they can reach you? Well, you can reach me on several different ways. Uh, my Instagram handle is at Legacy of Hawk. So it's Legacy underscore of underscore Hawk. Um, I'm on Facebook um, under Jay Hawkins. When you look me up, there's going to be um, like the subtext is Sensei Hawk. Um, those are probably the two strongest ways. Like if you get me on either one of those, you have access to almost any other form of communication with me. Yeah. Um, I'm very much into the aspect of I will answer questions that people will have about my experience. Um, the mental health of others is a very strong proponent of why I exist. Um, I think it's not. I think it's something that's not addressed a lot, or people don't have the avenue to express themselves about it. So right. I, I try to be of service to the community of the world as much as I can. So if you guys want to. Um, give me a follow on Instagram. You guys can keep up with all the, the stuff that I'm doing. You can see my, my daughter talk about coconuts and sh- while she's training and growing <laughs> up. Um, she's adorable. And thank you. Little Miss Jade. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Facebook and Instagram. Cool. Cool. So happy for you. And, and we look forward to seeing how your 
career progresses. I, I know I will because um, as soon as Rizzo, uh, you know, Sensei Rizzo and I uh, come back in contact, you know, we'll, I'll be able mm-hmm. to uh, go over there and visit you guys and see how you're doing yeah. and, uh, and see your school again. It'd be, it'd be, that'd be yeah, fun. White Tiger Kung Fu is going to be opening up soon. We just got our protocols from the state to figure out how to uh, what we need to do to make a safe environment for people who are willing to come back outside to train. Um, so we'll be opening up soon. So it'll be good. good. You'll we'll have the space for you to come and visit. I'd love to come. And, I'd love for you to come and see us. I would love to come see you guys. You know, since Rizzo and I, you know, we talked a long time about, you know, whether he should continue on with the U.S. Marshals or whether he should, he should go on to his martial arts school. And, uh, you know, I was very happy when I, I remember seeing him going off to uh, his school. And I'm like, you know, that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the right position to go towards, I think. I, I thought that was because he can influence people before they yeah. get to the point where he needs his machine gun, before he needs to right. arrest them or, <laughs> or guide them towards, you know, jail and what have you. So right. I was very happy for him. Uh, we did lose car. I used, to, I used to have his car for such a long time, but uh, I'm very proud of him. I'm very proud of you as well. So, you know, Thank keep you. on going on. And uh, if you need anything, please give me a, give me a ring. You know, you and I are connected as well, but thank you so much for being on the show. We're going to, we're going to give you a clap out, my friend. We're going to clap you out. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. Have yourself a great weekend. You do the same. All right, that was Jay Hawkins. Sensei Jay Hawkins, huh? What a great guy. That was a very well orderly educated conversation. Hmm. I don't even know how to say that. <laughs> it was a really just a nice conversation. It's really nice to talk to somebody else who's educated in, this, in almost the same format that you are, somebody who's an educator themselves, somebody who understands the learning process, somebody who understands the physical proce- process as well as the cerebral process, uh, somebody who respects people and is also empathetic to their desires and needs. You know, Jay's a very uh, special human being, and that's why I wanted to have him on the show. Black Lives Matters is really about, and the reason why I wanted to do this show this way, and I think this is the 110th episode, by the way. So somebody was asking, you know, how many episodes have you done? This is the 110th, I believe the 110th or 111th episode. I changed the format to Black Lives Matters for right now because I wanted to, I wanted to use my platform as a way of protesting i didn't want to just walk down the street and talk to people who believed in the same thing i did i wanted to talk to the country i want to talk to a large audience and share with them my beliefs and and see if we agreed somewhere along the line or maybe i can educate some people on, on, on things that we're going through in america so forgotten people is really about that it used to be about the mentally ill and, and the and the um, the poor situation here that we have on Skid Row and what have you. But I changed the format because I really wanted to be about Black Lives Matters. What was great about Jay was he had different experiences than maybe the eight other people that we had on the show. Very vast different experiences. But so did the person from episode seven, episode six, episode five. They all had very different experiences in America. And that's what I love. That's what I wanted to have. Now, 
I remember somebody saying to me, like, I'm brave because you really don't know what you're going to get from these interviews. And the truth is you don't. You really don't. I have no idea what people are going to say. I have no idea if somebody's going to be overtly angry. I don't have any idea if somebody's going to um, say something that's very different than the cause that I'm fighting for. I, I have no idea. But I do have a sense of faith. I do. I took a leap of faith in knowing that you know, we as a people right now are, are at a tipping point, And we're changing together. We don't want things to be the same anymore. Things can't go back to the same before. When asked about the coronavirus and, and will we ever be the same again, I always said yes. But after George Floyd and after this, this, this um, protest, I don't think we could ever be the same again. And I don't want things to ever be the same again. I do want things to change and change quickly. I believe in us as people. I believe in you, my audience, as people. Thank you so much, Jay Hawkins, for being on our show today, Sensei Jay. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your candor. I appreciate you speaking truth to power. I appreciate you speaking your truth. We're all better and smarter people because of our conversation with you. Thank you so much. And to you, my audience, whether you're in Belarus, Turkey, Chile, Peru, Germany, Argentina, America, Canada, Russia, we are all the same people. We all want love. We all want compassion. We all want to be loved. We all want to be taken care of. This is the time. This is the time of reflection. Of change. The coronavirus is not lifted completely. We're about to go into the new world right now. I've asked you this question several times. Have you read that book? Have you written that book? Have you watched that movie? Have you written that movie? How much have you changed? This was the time. This is the time to change. And when you go out into that new world, how much have you changed? Are you the better you? Are you the better we? It's time. It's time for us all now to see the truth of the life that we are living. That we cannot get past these moments in life without each other. Each other. I count on all of you. It's time. We've seen the changing tides. We've seen some people that are rock solid in their beliefs. And they have the inability to change. And how does, how does their life look to you? Look good? Does it look good for some people that refuse to change? Refuse to acknowledge how the world is developing? About how the youth of America sees our future? I don't think it serves much of a purpose for them. 
I think it hurts them greatly. But it could help us. It's something we could learn. I've always taught children. And children teach us so much. And when you look at the youth of America right now that are standing up and Black Lives Matters, it gives you inspiration that we're going to be fine. We're in good hands. Because there's people out there that care, that love sincerely, that want change, and they care. I have faith in all of you. Thank you very much for my platform. I'll be thinking about you guys. Send you my love. This has been Forgotten People. I am your host, Steve Pisa. Take care of yourself. Please, be well.